stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Thursday morning, this budget day. Uh, Bill C-69 was uh, quite a contentious piece of legislation when it was first brought forward uh, back in 2019, was passed, was given royal assent in 2019, although it should be noted that uh, the Senate did make a number of changes uh, to this bill. It was already a complex piece of legislation to begin with. Essentially, uh, C-69 was to create a new impact assessment process for big projects, not just oil and gas projects, but it obviously affects those kinds of projects. So the Impact Assessment Act is now the law of the land. And so there is an overhauled review process, which is what, in fairness, the liberals did promise to bring in when they campaigned in 2015. Now, when it comes to environment, when it comes to natural uh, resources, there is some overlapping jurisdiction here. So I think there's some political disagreement on C-69. Did it go too far? Did it set the bar too high? You know, the premier calls it the no more pipelines bill. And, and to be sure, there's a higher bar that those kinds of projects would need to clear in order to get approval. But what about the jurisdictional dispute here? So the Alberta Court of Appeal is hearing a challenge this week from the Alberta government. And the Alberta government's argument is that the federal government has stepped clear into provincial jurisdiction. The federal government has overstepped its bounds here. And so that's the argument that the court has to hear. It's not a question of whether this is a flawed process, not a question of whether the bar is set too high, but a kind of a jurisdictional question here. So joining us to talk a bit more about um, some of these, these issues specifically and how we judge the question of jurisdictional overreach. Very pleased to welcome the program here this morning. Uh, Martin Olzinski, he's an associate professor of environmental and natural resources law and policy at the University of Calgary. Uh, professor Olzinski, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, and just clarify your, your own involvement here. You've you've submitted, I, I believe, a, a, a brief to the, the court on this. Is that correct? No, so I haven't been involved in this one. I you haven't involved, been, okay. Uh, no, no, not yet. We'll see. Maybe maybe I will be in, uh, <laughs> okay. in a, when it goes to the Supreme Court, which all of us are expecting it will, um, sort of similar to the greenhouse gas pricing reference. Um, uh, so, no, I haven't been involved. I've certainly been following along very closely, um, and uh, this is an area that I have taught for sure, um, So, and I've written sort of in the area uh, over the past sort of 10 years or so. so. So certainly I am following it all very closely. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the carbon uh, tax decision, which was an interesting one, because, you know, the federal government does have taxing jurisdiction, obviously, but, uh, you know, the court decision here highlighted some other potential issues. Do, do you see that impacting this challenge at all, or do you see any parallels there? So, you know, it's, it's a little bit, tr it's, it's a little different, uh, or very different, I guess, in, in lots of ways. Right? And so the first one is that, that with the carbon price reference, you know, it's clear that the federal government was doing something new. Okay, we were, you know, we had never seen that kind of broad-based sort of price put on pollution. Um, and, and, and it was very sort of, let's say, like, pretty brave, it said very clearly, it was relying on this sort of what we call the residual sort of federal power for peace, order, and good government. So, so that's sort of that case, and, and where we expect a decision from the Supreme Court actually um, shortly. Um, in this instance, actually, in some ways, this issue was decided 30 years ago. 
And in fact, it was in Alberta, again, that it was decided under a different federal environmental assessment regime, what was called the ERPCO, the Environmental Assessment Review and Process Guidelines Order. And, and it was applied, sought to be applied to actually the Old Man River Dam. And so the friends, uh, but, you know, Canada was actually reluctant in that case to do it. The friends of the Old Man River Society sort of dragged Canada to court and said, you have to do this. At which point, Alberta challenged the constitutionality of that federal environmental assessment regime. And in a decision that's pretty sort of like iconic, uh, every first-year law student learns about the Friends of the Old Man River case, Um, the Supreme Court very clearly held that, of course, the federal government has the authority when making its own decisions about projects, and that's a really important qualifier, but when making its own decisions about impacts on areas of federal jurisdiction, that, of course, the federal government can assess those impacts proactively in order to decide whether or not those whether or not it wants to in fact approve those impacts right so in the case of the old man river there were impacts on navigation there were impacts on fisheries there were impacts on some of the neighboring first nations and so the supreme court said of course the federal government can set up a process to consider those questions when it's being asked to issue an authorization and so then what's happened is just that you know canada being what it is we are on our fourth environmental assessment regime at the federal level. Um, and so it's really the changes over time, I think, to that regime that have, you know, essentially put the wind, in a sense, in, in the province's sails or, or sort of at least given it a reason to say, well, well, maybe that's the true, that maybe that's correct generally, but we say this regime goes too far. Yeah, it's interesting. And I remember, you know, last year, early last year, right around this time last year, in fact, there was uh, a lot of debate around uh, tech, the company tech and their proposed frontier oil sands mine project and uh, the decision by the federal government not to approve that. And I remember the question coming up at the time, well, Rob, if this is entirely based in Alberta, why is the federal government the one to decide on this? And as it turned out, uh, tech had actually opted to go through the federal review process. But it does speak to where there's there's overlapping jurisdiction, that Alberta has its own environmental regulator, that there are projects that, that the Alberta government has the final say on. There are projects that the federal government has the final say on. It maybe feels like to, to a lot of people maybe uh, on the outside that it's not clear which is which. So where does one jurisdiction end and, and the other begin? So, so those are great questions, and I'll, but I'll just clarify first a little bit around Frontier. So actually what happened in Frontier uh, – that was actually under the CIA 2012 regime, the one before this one. And in fact, right. it was a regime passed by the Harper government in 2012. Right. And, and so that's actually the deep irony in all of this litigation as well, is that one of the major issues that, that Alberta takes sort of umbrage at with this legislation is that it creates this project list that, that projects are presumptively in unless they're out. That was, of course, that was the prime minister who did that, prime, prime minister Harper in 2012, with our current premier then a cabinet minister so so there is some mm-hmm. some um, <laughs> irony in all of that and, and then the other point to make so so they were required actually to undergo that assessment it wasn't the previous act not under the impact assessment act not the current legislation that's being challenged but actually the, the one again that former prime minister harper passed and it was actually frontier that withdrew actually before the federal government made its decision frontier and there was a letter and it was in the news right they basically said alberta you don't have your stuff together when it comes to, and then maybe it was Alberta and Canada generally, but it, it just felt it was very clear they saw there was jeopardy for their project and they didn't think that they could right. move forward. Um, and so, so just to clear that up. But in terms of then, as you say, that's a great point. So there was a time once, 100 years ago, when, when our courts would sort of try to interpret 
provincial and, and federal jurisdiction as, as what we called watertight compartments. So each had their compartments, and where the one jurisdiction ended, the other began, and vice versa. But that, that approach, unfortunately, it's just, it's just not workable, actually. And so instead, what the courts have said is that there is overlap. There, there is going to be considerable overlap, especially in an area like the environment, which actually isn't mentioned at all in the Constitution. Not surprisingly, in, in 1867, nobody was really thinking about environmental protection in any kind of meaningful way. But so, they, so what the court has said is that both levels may legislate in respect of the environment based on heads of power that, of course, touch on the biophysical sort of aspects and economic aspects that are all tied into the environment. So, so certainly in the province, we have Section 92A, which the, with the, which the Premier has talked about in press conferences, and he refers to that notion of exclusive jurisdiction. But on paper, every power under in the Constitution Act is quote-unquote exclusive. What the courts have sort of said, they've applied this terminology called double aspects, where they say, well, one aspect of a project, for instance, like an in-situ project or a, or a hydro dam, some aspects of that fall within provincial jurisdiction, yes. Other aspects fall within federal jurisdiction, like the fisheries jurisdiction or navigation or interprovincial pollution. And so, so then it's, at that point, once you've established that, then it's clear that the federal government has jurisdiction where those effects are engaged. And so then it really becomes a question, and this has been the, the you know, my great frustration as a prof and a prior, you know, teaching or practicing, I practiced for six years, you know, it's about, it's about recognizing that, that what, what this reality requires is for the federal government and the provincial governments to sit down and come up with a system, a cooperative system, a system that meets the requirements of both levels of government um, and enables them to make good decisions about these projects. Yeah, and, and maybe there's another level of irony when when we look at the debate around pipelines, and uh, you know, in, in you know BC, for example, uh, voicing objection to to uh, the the Trans Mountain project, that the Alberta government has insisted that the federal government has jurisdiction. Even you mentioned Section 92A, which has come up, maybe misrepresented a little bit, but it sort of reinforces the point that uh, the federal government has jurisdiction and can have jurisdiction even if a project is confined within a single province. So, is is there some contradiction? there between you know the the province's position that the federal government has ultimate authority on pipelines but but that c69 is unconstitutional so so of course with every general principle there are some exceptions and and so the reality actually is that around certain kinds of federal undertakings they are privileged actually so so actually specifically in in the sort of list of provincial powers which refers to local works and undertakings, local projects, there's a specific carve-out for what we call interprovincial works and undertakings. And so historically, that was obviously the rail. And then it's, it's long been understood to apply to also interprovincial pipelines. And, so, and then we get into this funny world. So those projects, those classes of projects are privileged. And, and that's been an irritant, I think, for provinces for a long time, because, because in that instance, those projects have what's... There's this doctrine that's called interjurisdictional immunity. And so there are core aspects of those powers, not everything. There are federal or sorry, provincial and municipal laws that do apply to pipelines, um, even interprovincial ones. You know, you have to you have to go to the municipality and get permits to cut trees and do all that kind of stuff. But they can't pass laws that impact on the core of the federal jurisdiction over those, because, of course, if they did, then they could render those interprovincial works inoperable and, you know, essentially frustrate any federal goals in relation to those. Unfortunately for the provinces, that doctrine has never worked the other way. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, so, so there isn't a doctrine that protects 
provincial works and undertakings from what we would say is otherwise valid federal legislation. And that was brought up in Old Man, and it's being brought up in the hearings this week. But there isn't a case, and, and the court generally has shied away. In fact, even going forward, they said, we don't even really like this interjurisdictional doctrine. We'll, we'll leave it in place for these cases of precedent. But it's very unlikely, going back to what I said, the general thrust of cooperative federalism, of overlap, the courts have basically said, yeah, we really are going to be hesitant to ever apply that to new cases. So that's kind of the state of play. So, you know, it's interesting because there is a lot of provincial opposition to C-69 or what became the Impact Assessment Act. So there's certainly disagreements. But I, I think when we're talking about these these jurisdictional issues, it's it's a little more objective, or at least we're expecting the courts to view it as such. Do, do you feel, though, that it's, it's uh, let's put it this way, an uphill battle for the Alberta government in making this argument? So, so certainly... You know, it's, and this is always a bit of a crapshoot. You know, it's always a, we try to listen to judges, we try to watch their posture and, and their reactions and we and their questions. But, you know, in fact, this morning, the Chief Justice reminded everybody, don't play that game because you don't know where our yeah. minds are at. Um, you know, I would say that in terms of the law, the settled law, the jurisprudence, like I said, this stuff goes back 30 years. And then, and then there are more cases in between that I, I'm not going to get into. But absolutely, the constitutional principles are on the side of the federal government. The established case law is on the side of the federal government. So, it, you know, our Court of Appeal would really have to, again, break some new jurisprudential ground to sort of say, you know, and so there, it might be that there are just certain aspects. In fact, in the hearing, what we're seeing is that perhaps it's just certain parts of this new regime that the, our Court of Appeal will find objectionable. It's, it's hard to say. But, but certainly, you know, if you ask anyone who has studied this area, read all the cases over 30 years, it has long been the case that the federal government can do federal EA. So, so really the, the challenge here for Alberta is to say that this act transgresses those principles in some way. So it's not a question of if it can, it's just whether this specific act perhaps allegedly goes too far. All right. Well, it sounds like it'll be some months before the Alberta Court of Appeal decides, and then, you know, much like the, the carbon levy challenge, this could be headed to the Supreme Court eventually, too, I would It imagine. absolutely is. There's no, no, no doubt about it, I think, in anyone's mind, that whatever the Court of Appeal decides, um, it will be appealed to the Supreme Court. We'll see where it goes from here. Martin, appreciate the insight on all this. Thanks for making some time for us here. Always, always a pleasure. Take care. That's uh, Martin Olzinski, Associate Professor of Environmental and Natural Resource Law and Policy at the University of Calgary. So there's some interesting legal issues at play here. I mean, if you're a dispassionate legal observer, you might take note of all of that. But uh, I think dispassionate maybe is not the way to describe how Albertans feel about uh, some of the federal liberal approaches to these these matters, C-69 and C-48 in particular. All right, we're going to take a quick time out here. Uh, plenty more still to get to in our time remaining. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.